Here we go, rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Adam Stenko is out west every Tuesday. It's about 25, 30 minutes of us. A little bit of life. A whole lot of hoops. Coming Thursday, going ISO, the long-form edition. It's with Robert Sacre. You remember him from those four years at Gonzaga. Then he was the last overall pick in the 2012 NBA draft by the Lakers. And then his rookie year was Kobe, Steve Nash, Dwight Howard. So we'll go ISO as we do every Thursday, the long-form edition. Adam, good week? Everything is good. Everything's good. I'm excited about this Sacre interview, but I'm also excited to talk to you, Noah. So it's going to be great. So as we record this on Monday, the Rockets sitting in sixth place, seven and a half games out of first. And it's, you know, a lot of teams are bunched up between two through six. And then there's about three games in between the Rockets and the Thunder and then the Memphis Grizzlies, who are inexplicably in the playoffs at the moment. But they've lost three straight, the Houston Rockets, Memphis, Portland, and they also lost to the Lakers. And now they've got OKC, Denver, and then on the road, this is the rest of the month, Minnesota, Denver, Utah, Portland, then home for Dallas, and then they open up February in New Orleans against what you would assume to be a Zion Williamson Hornet, um, uh, Pelicans team, I'm sorry, New Orleans Pelicans. So trying to think about, Adam, what has gone wrong with the team, I test would tell you, watching the games, and as I've said about James Harden, I'll watch the highlights, but I can't watch the full game. To me, it, it's so maddening watching the Rockets and everybody else just stand around and not seem into the game when James Harden has the basketball. And look, the big point, as you point out, it's not even what's happened to this team as of late. It's what lies ahead. How ugly could this get? So before we get into the James Harden part, just on the scheduling, last year, they were 11 and 14 in December, if you remember, then went on a stretch where they started to figure things out, winning games, figured it out, but maybe not to the extent that they thought that they would. This year, they add Westbrook. And... They are they were 21 and 9 going into that Christmas Day game against the Warriors. And to me, no, that's when it all started sort of started to fall apart. Yes, the recent three losses, but they're five and six since Christmas Day when they lost to the Warriors. I looked at those games. In those five wins, James Harden leading scorer in all of them. In the six losses, the leading scorer in four of those games, Russell Westbrook. House was the leading scorer in another game, and then and then Harden was, was once the leading scorer in those six losses. And the scary part, though, is not to say, oh, well, then, okay, that's the key. James Harden just has to be the leading scorer. But rather, psychologically, the impact having one guy bring up the ball and take all the shots has on the rest of the team. And so whether it's now a symptom of that is that then Russell Westbrook is forcing shots when he has an opportunity or when he can become the leading scorer. That becomes a s- symptomatic, and the rest of the team starts to fall apart. And you really run into an issue where, look, D'Antoni's used to this with point guards and letting them control everything, but that's a responsibility. And Steve Nash would oftentimes use the first half to distribute, 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 set you up. And then when you couldn't make adjustments later and you were out of timeouts, you didn't want to call a timeout late in the game, that's when Nash would start to take it himself or take shots. James Harden, that flow, that pace, He understands how to score for himself, and he's a great passer, 
But there's a psychological aspect when you are tasked with being the lead guard and controlling the game, and he has to do a better job of making sure his teammates are engaged. All right, so let's take a look at some numbers from January. So Harden shooting 30% from three in January, and I'll get into some more of his splits in a moment. But the team has played, as we recorded this on Monday, the fewest games in the league in January. They've only played seven games. They're three and four. The rebounding numbers are really poor. Opponents' points per game off turnovers, fifth most, getting nearly 19 a game. Opponents' second chance points, they're getting nearly 16 a game, and that's the second most in the league. Their offensive rating is down four points this month. And now let's just get into Harden splits. In their wins this season, in their wins, he's shooting 41% from three. And in the losses, he's shooting 27% from three. So in wins, he's shooting six of 14 from three, averaging 41 points per game. And in the losses, he's shooting 27% from three, three for 11, essentially. And he's averaging 30 a night. And it goes back to what I what I was just saying, Noah. I remember reading Oscar Robertson's book, and he had a quote in the book where he talked about the idea that if you are the point guard and you're bringing the ball up the floor, even if you think you can score on that possession, if you're the guy who takes the first shot without ever passing and getting it back, if you just bring it up and take a shot, your four teammates feel like, well, why did I run up the floor for you? Like, I just did you a favor by running up the floor. I did. We accomplished nothing. You should have just told me that. And I could have sat back here. And I'll always remember that as like the psychological mindset of a lead guard who controls the game. And so you look at what I talked about with the scoring numbers and you just talk about the splits and how poorly he's shooting in their losses. It's not just a case of dependency on him. It's that the teammates also can't rise to the occasion when all of a sudden he's having one of those hardened off nights which he is prone to have, mm-hmm. and, and he's a volume mm-hmm. scorer. We understand that, and he's done remarkable things this year. He's supremely talented. But if you're not engaging your teammates, you're not going to win a championship. And how about Russ? Free throw shooting was such an issue for Russ last year, but his numbers are up at the free throw line. Last year, he was atrocious at 66%. This year, he's at 77%. And his three-point shooting last year was awful at 29%. And this year... He's down to 23%. 23%. That's a lack of engagement. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is that it's not like sometimes we talk chemistry issues, and I'm sure as we discuss Kyrie Irving, that, that's going to come up momentarily. I will say that it's not a chemistry thing for these guys in terms of their friendship. Russ and, and Harden are friends. You talk to guys around the league, they like each other. They wanted to play together. Westbrook was excited about this. Harden was excited to have him. It's not like they're butting heads. It's just the chemistry-wise on the court, if you're not passing the ball at opportune times and you're tasked with doing so, it's always going to hurt your team. And, and Noah, you just pointed out statistically how, how that's certainly been the case this year. Russ is just not the same player, and he was already a poor shooter, and now it's really ugly. But I don't even know what the ideal second star is for James Harden. Because it's not like... I mean, the defensive rating is good when they're on the floor together. The offensive rating isn't great, but it's good at about 110. So I, I think it's more so that Allen Iverson 2001 type team where everybody else understood their role. But you, but you can't win today with one star when everybody else has two, three, and even four. So I, don't, I, I can't pick out that second star who would be ideal 
with James Harden. And here's the thing. I don't know that it's about the second star. I think it's about Harden changing how he does things. It's not about, okay, yeah, I'm going to That's not going to happen. Well, and that's the issue. That's ultimately the issue. I don't think it's finding that perfect second guy, whether it's Chris Paul, whether it's Russell Westbrook, what have you. It's all about the idea that Harden's going to have to adapt. Just like Iverson, the truth is they win a game against the Lakers. They never would have won a title in my eyes. And it's a discussion we can have for a later day, but I don't think they ever would have won a title unless Harden, uh, unless Iverson had made some changes and there were some roster changes. I don't think it's a roster issue in Houston. I think it's a James Harden issue. And you know how much I love watching the guy play. All right, well, for LeBron, it's a lot about mental fitness. The number one app for sleep and meditation is now teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. I just saw LeBron on ESPNU watching his son, Bronny. How convenient was the scheduling? Well done, LeBron. Son plays at 1 o'clock up in Springfield, Massachusetts. You've got a game about an hour and a half away, two hours away in Boston at 7.30. Well done. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is unlike any other muscle in your body. And, and Adam, your daughter has used this, right? It's still working? Yeah, yeah. Used it, uh, was having issues sleeping, used the Calm app, and all of a sudden, boom, sleeps like a baby. So awesome. I wish now my two-year-old son would right. also, maybe we could find a way to get the Calm app so he can he can <laughs> sleep at night. But my teenage daughter, who has a restless mind, it's been extremely beneficial for her, for sure. So if you head to calm.com slash locked on NBA, you'll get 40% off a calm premium membership for a limited time. Our listeners can join LeBron in using calm 40% discount an annual membership calm.com slash locked on NBA. You can unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, sleep better. Calm.com slash locked on NBA. That's calm.com slash locked on NBA. All right. And speaking of mental, Kyrie. So Kyrie Irving this week had his comment this past week, had his comments about his teammates. If you, if you haven't heard it, I mean, it's transparent. It's out there. It's glaring in terms of pieces we need in order to get to be at that next level. I'm going to continue to reiterate it. We're going to do the best with the guys that we have in our locker room. Now we'll worry about the other stuff in terms of moving pieces, everything else as an organization down in down the line in the summer. It's something we signed up for. And then he names players. <laughs> guys were guys were going down left, right. GT, Garrett Temple's out, DeAndre Jordan's out, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like we have great pieces, but it's pretty glaring. We need one more piece or two more pieces that will complement myself, KD, DJ, DeAndre Jordan. Okay. Mm-hmm. Garrett Temple, Spence, Spencer Dinwiddie, who should be the all-star, Karis, Karis LeVert, and we'll see how that evolves. There is so much wrong with what Kyrie said, and so many have already dissected this. So I want to get more into what the reaction has been. So I was listening to CJ McCombs podcast, the pull up pod, which he does with my buddy, Jordan Schultz. And CJ had a problem with what Kyrie said, but also said, you know, we're put in a tough spot because the media wants us to be honest. But then when we are, we get killed for it. Okay. But there's (laughs) a way to, you don't have to imagine if everybody just said what was on their minds at all times. That's an old Chappelle joke. That's an old Chappelle joke. He, he said, imagine oh, really? that world that we're living in. And he, he went around and talked about how everyone was racist to each other. He's like, I'm glad that people keep some of that stuff to themselves. Sure. So exactly. You had the so same thought. Right. And, and so Kyrie, who fashions himself as this deep thinker and how smart he is, and he'll let everybody know it. How I, I, I it, it blows my mind that he can't be smart about 
editing himself and being mindful of other people. He says that the NBA is entertainment all the time, and which it is, but he downplays his comments by saying, oh, this league is just all about drama, entertainment, this. Mm-hmm. But yet his comments are about how his team needs to get better when he wasn't there in the first place. Noah, all of that stuff is, is fascinating because as you talk about with Kyrie, it's, it's calculated. That's the issue that, that I think CJ almost misses. And, and, and McCollum was right in w- exactly what you say, that, that yes, there are, and we complain about it every week, about the media side in this, and, and that they're looking for headlines and what they pull out. And even us, look, as podcasters, we want people to listen to our podcast. We're going to go through and say, hey, what was the most salacious part of that interview? What was the most interesting? But there are even times where you and I look at it and go, well, we could pull this clip or this thing that this guy said and put it out there, but it also would be kind of misleading because that's not really what they meant in the greater context. And we get it. And the thing is, when Kyrie went on this rant, it just felt like so many things with him do that, that it was with a stated purpose. So to turn around and say that it's like, oh, everybody wants to make headlines out of what Kyrie says. Well, they want to make headlines out of what Kyrie says, because if you're going to specifically go and name people on the roster like he did, then you better make sure that you know exactly the names that you're saying and which guys you want to be sure around. He doesn't mention Jared Allen's name, which really caused a stir. And so people said, wait a minute, what about Jared Allen and his future and his, his role in becoming a net moving forward? But this Kyrie thing, to me, also, you know, in the, in the first segment, we talked about James Harden and his style of play. I talked to an NBA guy this week, actually, former coach, former head coach, and he was telling me that the thing with Kyrie is that he, the, his style of play drives his teammates mad. It's that same thing. He said, look, Kemba Walker and Kyrie Irving both dominate the ball some and they handle it a lot to try to get to their spots and shoot more than they probably pass. But they said it's the style, the way that they do it that gets their teammates happy about playing with them. And he said, it's just Kyrie is just a difficult guy to play alongside. So if you already are dealing with that on the court and then off the court, he's making comments like this. It's a tough deal, man. It's a tough deal. And so then on Monday, as we record this on Monday, he said, when I was out for those seven weeks and not saying anything, and still people are saying things about me, it's inevitable. They crucified Martin Luther King for speaking about peace and social integration. All right, dude. All right, dude. And and I, he I mean, might, we don't even have to not, say anything. Right, he's not comparing himself to Martin Luther King here, but you don't you don't even put yourself in the same sentence about of the course. crucifying Martin Luther King for what he stood up for, but Kyrie not saying anything. So if I'm Kyrie, one, stop paying so much attention to everything. Because this is proving that you are, you know, KD gets crushed for just responding to people on Twitter and acting like this. But I would say this is even worse. What it is, what Kyrie does, because he he tries to play it off like he's his own man. But then he is so caught up in what everybody is saying and what's really important to him. He never says that winning and his performance on the floor is that important. It's it's these days. It's just all about. All you guys want is entertainment and drama and this and that. And he is he is lacking the self-awareness. He's lacking self-awareness. And it's also his statements just read as being inauthentic. 
I mean, I go back to when he was with the Celtics and he talked about how he was trying to get the message across to his team. And he said that he called LeBron. Remember that whole thing? And he realized that at a certain point, oh, I understood now what LeBron meant when I was a younger player. I called him to go over. And meanwhile, it wasn't even in a way to say like, wow, I've grown or matured. It was like, oh, okay, I'm going to find a new way to send a message to these young guys because I just want control. And Noah, you and I are both around people all the time, in media industry folks, on-air people, what have you, that have huge egos. And sometimes it's not about the awards they win or how many times they get on cameras, which I can promise you there are a lot of people in our industry that say, oh, there are famous people that I know that look at a rundown and say, Oh, I'm only on camera eight times. I, you know, that's clearly not enough there. But the thing is, it's like, there's something about the ego and narcissism, which causes people to like have this irrational view of the world where they just, it's never enough. And, and so power isn't like even a quantifiable thing. It's just some days it's like, you know what? I don't feel like I'm in control enough or these guys aren't showing me enough respect or what have you. And here's the weird part as it pertains to Kyrie we say all this and we talk about the way he talks and, and all these things and winning, not winning as you bring up. And yet, guess what? We still make headlines about Kyrie and guess who is probably going to start for, you know, he's going to get the, the um, fan vote in the all-star voting, but Kyrie Irving. So, you know, it, it like guys that complain about being in the New York market and how hard that is. Look who, look who the guys that are getting all the votes for, for all-star Alex Caruso playing in LA is getting a lot of votes. All these guys that complain about how difficult it is, I guarantee you they would take the trade off 10 times out of 10 to get the all-star nod, but all of a sudden there's an extra write-up or two about them because of it. it and let's do, let's do 45 seconds on the all-stars. To me, it doesn't matter. If the fans, if the fans want to be, make it a joke and vote in certain guys, go Taco ahead. Fall, do it. Alex Caruso, Fan, Steph fans Curry. Can do it. And the players can complain about it. But the players themselves, I can't, I, that's one of my favorite things ever is looking at who the players themselves vote for. Because trust me, they're not, they're not paying attention and they've got plenty of their own agenda. So that, that whole thing doesn't add up. If, the fa- it's, if it's for the fans, this, that, great. But the fact is, bonuses are tied to it and that's yes. the trouble. So I think what I think we'd really need to do is remove some of the bonus remove the bonuses for making an all-star and, and switch up the bonus structure if you're going to be putting this much power in the hands of players media and fans and legacies legacies as well people look back and we we talk about when it happens oh yeah that wasn't real it wasn't legitimate but the truth of the matter is no and look we've had guys on the podcast we'll say four-time all-star made the all-star game once and it's meaningful to those guys too so legacy plays a role in all this too i just I, I wish in certain instances more people would take it seriously, but I, I know I'm probably on an island in that in that instance. All right, so if you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard the great advertisers working with Locked On that reach sports fans, but you might not know that. Take a show like Locked On Rockets, which would be a great way to follow the conversation that we just had about the Houston Rockets and James Harden. It's also a great way for your local business to reach passionate Rockets fans and every other fan base in the league and every league. So unlike any other podcast, Lockdown gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, not just any podcast listener, 
a Locked On podcast listener. And if your company wants to connect with Rockets fans, Pelicans fans, Sixers fans, and a predominantly male audience that's well-educated with a disposable income, then let's put your company right here on the Locked On Network. Local fans love to support local businesses, so text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team out there to help your team achieve Locked On Advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising, 33777, advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, here we go. Open gym. I'm just back from the Bass Pro Shops Tournament of Champions, that big high school tournament in Springfield, Missouri, where I got to see Jeremy Roach, who's going to Duke. I think he'll be in the league as well. I could see him being the starting point guard at Duke next year. Cam Thomas won MVP. is just a walking bucket at Oak Hill for Steve Smith. He's going to LSU, and Steve Smith has, again, he's been there for 35 years, over 1,100 wins. He has like seven high D1 guys that he rolls out there, and they ended up beating Paul VI, Jeremy Roach's team, Trevor Keels, and Glenn Frello, who's coached a bunch of NBA players as well, including Delonte West. It's a great, it's a great tournament. It's, and what Steve Smith says, it's the best tournament in the country. And Steve Smith has played in every single tournament yes, over 35 years. And O'Kill has had, he won his first national title, first of nine, back in 1993 with Jeff McGinnis and Stackhouse and Mokdar Jai and Mark Blount. And then he's won this Bass Pro Tournament four times in 15, 16, 18, and now 2020. Steve Smith has lost one home game in his 35 years at O'Kill. One. <laughs> and it was and it was against Lamar Odom, who yes. I want to say the story is that he was playing for a different team the day before or didn't like being with one of his teammates or something like that and then played him again the next night. And Steve Smith had scheduled this game as a favor. And he won't be doing any money, any favors anymore. And Lamar had 30 plus and And that's the only that was in. In 1997, I believe, and that's the only time that Steve Smith has ever lost on his home floor at Oak Hill. His career and, and what's gone on at Oak Hill is, is truly remarkable. No, who was the, the best player that you saw? Your, or, or rather, a best player and then favorite player that you saw at this, at this Bass Pro Tournament? I'll say, so it's three games in three days, no shot clock, which is wild because only eight states use shot clocks and Missouri, and Missouri State High School basketball doesn't. My favorite player was K.K. Robinson, who's the senior point guard for Oak Hill. He's from Arkansas, and he's going to Arkansas. Eric Musselman's got a really good class. He is, he's really, really strong. He's a lefty. He's an outstanding defender. I really liked him. I also liked, he didn't shoot the ball very well, but Bryce Thompson from Booker T. Washington High School. He's a five-star kid from Oklahoma. He's going to Kansas. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was also really, really smooth. But on the, on the, in the junior class, Trevor Keels, who is the backcourt mate of Jeremy Roach in uh, at Paul the Six, and they play in the Washington Catholic Athletic Conference, which is the best high school basketball oh, conference in, in the country in the DMV with DeMatha and Gonzaga and others. 
that Trevor kills as a junior he's six, four guard, but he's really, really strong. I like him a lot. Hmm. Love it. Love it. John, give me your, your college hoop game that you're most pumped about with NBA draft prospects. So Iowa state who hasn't had a great season this year, but they play at Auburn this weekend. They play on Saturday and there's a kid Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa state six, five guard fun player, good energies, kind of unorthodox, a little bit herky-jerky, but he's got excellent visions, creative passer. He sees and sort of just plays the game differently. And I love guys like that, where it just, it, it just comes across and feels different. He's been struggling lately, and I, I don't love a shot, even though it, it does go in at a, at a good clip. But Bruce Pearl is going to scheme for him, for sure. And Samir Doughty will probably guard him. And I just think a Bruce Pearl defensive strategy game plan scheme against a kid like this that's sort of creative, different, fun, who's now starting to shoot up draft boards because at 6'5", point guard who finds people, plays a little bit differently, finds ways to score, distribute. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see, see that matchup and see, see uh, Halliburton against Auburn. Yeah, when you can be different, it makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. It's like... It's like even just guarding somebody who's left-handed. But if you can do yes. even more that's, that's different, it, it throws everybody off. What I'm most pumped about, no surprise, Wednesday, Zion against the Spurs. I'm pumped to see him be on the court. I am desperately hoping he doesn't get hurt. And I'm pumped to see what it does to the national TV rating so we can get off that conversation. Nuggets, Rockets <laughs> also on Wednesday. Yes. To see how... To see the if the Rockets streak, if their if their losing streak continues, well, as we recorded this on Monday, it might be over to begin with. But just to see how they play against another team of their supposed caliber, and then Grizzlies Celtics on Wednesday. Are the Grizzlies ever going to lose another game again? Ever? And the Celtics defense has just been god awful. And I love that John Moran is is must see TV. Oh, we we love John Morant. We've been talking about him forever, and it's it's interesting now though because now all of a sudden the Twitter folks are starting to come out. They're starting to pop up, Noah. How many games does Zion have to play to still win Rookie of the Stop Year? It. That's he the, can't. He can't. And of no, course, ja was my, it's my, insane. It's, it's an insane it's discussion. He, he was insane. my preseason. Ja was my preseason pick to win Rookie of the Year for all the same reasons why he's going to win it now. Is not. I mean, I didn't think him to be this spectacular, but it was. He was going to have the keys, so he's going to have the ball in his hands a ton, and they're not going to take him out for making certain mistakes. And no. that's exactly what's happened. And he's the thing is, and we talked about it before the year. We both said that we we loved him. Obviously, still a Kobe White fan uh, through and through. You know, mm-hmm. I got to call him and console him sometimes. But I I love the yeah. kid and still believe in him. But I do. But the thing about John Morant that separates him is, you know, we end up spending a large part of this discussion of the podcast about guys you don't want to play with. People love playing with John Morant because yeah. he Great loves point. to find people and loves to pass more than he loves to score. The anti Kyrie. If you that's will, how we'll, that's how we'll title this. How about that? That works. And, uh, yeah. you know, I got another one from Kyrie that I overheard an NBA player, and I can't say it because it was a private conversation. Heard someone talking about Kyrie Irving. No, I shared this news with you the other day. They said about him, this is an NBA star, said about him, bad teammate. That was a fellow NBA star. We could release it and make headlines because that's what we're all about in the media, right? But no, I'm just going to give you the information that someone said, private conversation. I'm not attaching names to it. That did happen this week. And it was not Robert Sacre, who will be on the podcast (laughs) on Thursday, 
We'll go ISO with Robert Zachary, who was on the Lakers the last time the Lakers went to the playoffs. And Robert Zachary was his rookie year was the year that Dwight and Steve Nash joined the Lakers and Kobe Bryant. So that conversation comes your way on Thursday. You can follow Adam on Twitter at NaysmithLiz. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Make sure you're checking out everything else on the Locked On NBA Podcast Network. Locked On NBA, Monday through Friday. The Hollinger and Duncan Show on Mondays with John Hollinger and Nate Duncan, who was our most recent pot guest on Going ISO last week. Go back and listen to that. And also Locked On Fantasy Basketball with Josh Lloyd. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best.